This episode of Assembly Required is brought to you by Audible.com. We know you like listening to people talk. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't. So why not try some new forms of what apparently is nowadays called long-form audio content? You probably know that Audible.com is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. And they don't just have books, they have podcasts, they have audio dramas, all sorts of, again, audio content for your content-hungry ears. Uh, For example, I've been listening to the autobiography of Mel Brooks, All About Me, My Remarkable Life in Show Business, read by the comedy Hollywood legend himself. Uh, So if you listen to our podcast, chances are you like show business. So why not hear some behind-the-scenes stories from a man who has seen it all? It's been really fun to listen to so far. You'll also find plenty of suggestions of similar topics, or you can browse any of the other thousands of titles available on Audible. There's something for every interest. You can listen while you commute, while you work, while you're doing things around the home, while you're cooking, while you're exercising, while you're sleeping, whenever you want. I'm not your boss. But it'll help to enrich your life with stories without losing time out of your day. And right now, if you visit audibletrial.com slash assemblyrequired, that's audibletrial.com forward slash, not backslash, I'm just going to mini rant here, everyone says backslash when they mean forward slash, audibletrial.com forward slash assemblyrequired, You can start a free 30-day trial of Audible and start listening today. Signing up helps to support the show, and you can cancel at any time. With your trial, you will get one credit, or two credits if you are an Amazon Prime member. Congratulations. Good for any premium selection titles you like. Yours to keep. You'll also gain access to the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible Originals. Listen all you want, no credits needed. And a friendly email reminder before your trial ends. That's good. I mean, I always have to set timers in my phone to remind me when I'm about to have a free trial expire. I am a free trial guy. I love free trials. Uh, But it's nice that they'll send you a friendly email. It's nice that it's friendly, too. Not like, hey, idiot, your trial's about to end. Uh, Once again, that is audibletrial.com forward slash assembly required. Thanks and happy listening. There was an idea. Romano, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. Assemble. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo. We've got everyone back for this one again. We've got Robbie, we've got Pris, we've got Peaches. Gentlemen, welcome back. How you doing? Still emotionally traumatized by what I saw in theaters this weekend. Damn, was what Ghostbusters Afterlife really that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Paul Rudd is hot, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. I mean, I do know that. Sex yeah. is staying alive. <laughs> Listeners, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're, this 
We will not be, I hope, spoiling anything in this episode. This is, episode is about Hawkeye, as the name says, but uh, the four of us sat around uh, meat and cheeses and beer and wine last night and discussed how we'd all just gotten out of Spider-Man No Way Home. And so we spent last night talking about our feelings on that. We had a mild, mild possible spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. There's a general warning that we've seen it. It's another Marvel thing that takes place in New York around the holidays. So if our brains make connections, Mm -hmm. uh, just, just caveat emptor. That said, if you haven't seen it, go see it immediately. Like immediately go see no way home. Uh, Immediately go see no way home. I don't know what else to say that. What? I don't like no offense to your personal life listener that hasn't seen it and is listening to a detailed in-depth Marvel podcast, but your priorities are backwards. Go, <laughs> go watch that movie and then come listen to us. But also bring just, just an entire box of tissues. For all that pineapple juice. Peach and I both, <laughs> Peach and I both <laughs> said that our masks were soaking wet at the end because of the pineapple juice okay move on (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're not talking about pineapple juice or that we're talking about episode five of of uh hawkeye titled ronin uh directed by bert and birdie the writers on this are jenna noel frazier and jonathan and jonathan ingla igla excuse me we open in russia in 2018 where we see elena another widow who is named Sonia, uh, confronting an, another widow named Anna. Uh, they're talking to them. They are doing the whole, like, we're going to save you. And she's like, I don't need saving. And then uh, Yelena goes to the bathroom, and suddenly she's blipped. She comes back. Everything's different. And we kind of see where, I, I think the whole purpose of this scene was to show us that Yelena was blipped. She was gone for five years, and now she's back. Robbie, you're muted. Yeah, if you unmute your microphone, then when you say words, so the rest of us will hear them. And honestly, <laughs> on the scale of how traumatic being unblipped can be, I think hers was pretty low. You go to the bathroom, then you come out, and at least you are in the same place you were with the same people you were just with, and they're able to quickly just, they immediately understand what happened and can quickly explain it to you. Um, so I imagine it was pretty good until she found out her sister was dead. It's you go to splash water in your face, put your hands up, and then there's no water hitting your face, and that's what you notice. And then the walls turn green around you. Like, way better than waking up in a chaotic hospital and your mom is gone. Yeah. I wish I were blipped every time I need to go to the bathroom, so that's actually the perfect scenario for me. I just wish I never had to go in there. Bathrooms are awful. That. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. It's the worst part of the day. Or it the is. Week. It really is. Do you only go once a week, Robbie? You I'm know going this. Back to mute. <laughs> so Kate uh, returns home after you know the whole getting beaten up by Yelena as well as Maya and Clint telling her to go home, and her mother is there, and you know she we have this really heartfelt scene between her and her mother that becomes like more gross when you find out later what Eleanor's been up to in her free time. Yeah, oh my god, Eleanor's insufferable. Oh my god, she's insufferable. Yeah. Two of them are like talking on a couch, they're doing the whole, you know, mother-daughter thing. And Kate tells her mother that she and Clint have found a lot of incriminating evidence about Jack. 
She asks Eleanor to look into Sloan LTD, and Eleanor says that she will. Meanwhile, uh, Kazi is treating <laughs> Maya's wounds, and Maya talks about how there was someone else there that night. Uh, she figures something is going on, and it's bigger than she thought. And Kazi pleads to Maya to stop all of this and stop the hunt and stop trying to kill Hawkeye, or at the very least, after they kill Ronan, not Hawkeye, Ronan, for it to be over. I thought that was an interesting conversation because, like, what does she want to do after she kills him? Isn't that going to be the end goal anyway? Like, is he really negotiating some sort of change in her behavior? It's What the, do the tracksuits normally do? I, is that So is that what you think is what he's saying? Is that, okay, we're going to disband the tracksuits after this? No, I think no. He's, he's afraid he's going to get caught. Yeah. Because Possibly. he was the informant. So she'll keep looking into it after killing Ronan is what, what you think he's... Okay, uh-huh. that makes sense. Yeah, and then what I was saying was he wants her to go back to doing whatever she did as the tracksuit stand-in boss. Right, and I thought... I, I feel like that boss. was already what she was going to do, and so he's just asking her to do what she was already going to do. Seemed like unnecessary conversation. Mm. At least from his standpoint. Probably because maybe he's a nervous idiot, but... Yeah. So the next day, Kate goes back to her apartment and looks at the devastation caused by the tracksuit's attack. Uh, And then suddenly, Yelena comes up behind her and catches the bottle that Kate instinctively throws at her. She offers Kate some macaroni and cheese that she's made and that she just wants to talk. Yelena insists that she didn't try to kill Kate and points out that if she wanted Kate dead, she would have killed Kate as she came in. She also points out that if she wanted her dead on the roof, after when she pushed her off, she wouldn't have hooked her up to like a grappling hook so that she wouldn't die. How nice. Meanwhile, Clint goes to girl's apartment. No, that's sad. Uh, Yelena eats while Kate watches, and Kate finally asks what Yelena wants. The resident says that she wants to see some landmarks, and Kate gives Yelena some recommendations, but doesn't think they'd be right for a bloodthirsty vigilante. Yelena admits that she knows all about Kate and her family, including her college grades. Kate asks if Yelena is in NYC to talk to Clint, and Yelena says no, she's not there to talk to Clint. She's there to kill him. What? Dum, dum, dum. I have, I have, I'm jumping ahead to the, I guess the little reveal we get at the very end. You can't. I can. I I am I am going to break the law though to do it. Um so you're not going to talk about WandaVision, are you? No, I'm not going to talk about Wanda. I'm just confused about the end credit scene of Black Widow now in relation to what we learn. She's here to kill Clint, but I thought that was supposed to be because of Val. And then we uh, learned Val, at the end I think Val's that it's the because broker. of Eleanor. Yeah, Eleanor talked to Val to hire someone to kill Clint. Oh, is it yeah, that simple? I, okay. I think and that's I, as well. And I assume it's I've seen a, less simple than that. I think it's Fisk talked to Eleanor, talked to talked to Val, talked to yeah. Elena. Yeah, I do think that there's there there's a chain, but but the because I've seen a lot of people going, oh, they've retconned Val out. No, she's just the broker. You know, she's oh, someone yeah, no. you talk I, to when you need somebody to. Yeah, to I was not going to be that guy. I was going to. Uh, they must I, have. No, and I know you're not that guy. Her. But why do we do that? Why do we? This is a plot hole. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, and I didn't think it was a plot hole either. I was just confused about it for a second. I was like, wait a wait a wait a second. What happened to that whole post credit scene? <laughs> yeah, I think they went to Val, um, and she's like, oh, I know just the person to take care of this. And and Val then went to Yelena, and we get the Black Widow credit scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there is a possibility that Val will be more involved in this story, but I also think there's a possibility not. Um, it's maybe something we could talk about later. The question is: Is Val a free agent, or is she on the big guy's payroll? That's my that's vote, the question there. My vote is cameo at the end of the season, free agent. You mean okay. next week, the last episode? Correct. <laughs> Not yeah. even a week away. Holy shit! Oh god. So Yelena asks Kate why she risks her life for Clint, and wonders why everyone has forgiven him for his past. Kate points out that Clint wants to sa- uh, Clint saved the world, and Yelena says that Natasha saved the world. Yelena figures that Kate doesn't know who Clint really is, and he came to NYC to protect his reputation. Which, to be fair, is what happened. He saw the suit, and he his intention was to protect his reputation and his family, but his reputation, and you know... Kate tells Elena that she should take a look at her employer if he or she is telling Elena that Clint killed Natasha. Well, and like, you could kind of see where Elena's coming from here. Like, death has followed Clint for a long time, and he has, we talked about it a little bit, but he like is not a good person, especially for all of the stuff that he did during the five-year blip. And nothing can necessarily really absolve you of that, right? Like, and I think that's Elena's point is that while he has done some good stuff, yes, he also did a ton of bad stuff. And at what point do we, you know, say it's okay that you killed all these people because you also helped take down Thanos. Like, does that, is that where we, we draw the line? I think the lens is weird, right? Depending on your point of view, because if you just know the bare minimum details, you know that, Hawkeye it didn't happen this way, but if you knew the bare minimum, it would feel like Hawkeye threw Black Widow off a cliff to get a stone and then uh, basically immediately proceeded to murdering people for five years. And if that is all you really know, it does paint the picture of, oh, that dude bad. Um, so they didn't really do Hawkeye any favors by making him be the one that lived in that scene. Because now he, yes, he did some bad things. I'm not saying he's not a bad guy, but the perspective is that he is a very bad guy. Well, the the whole point of that scene in Endgame is that Clint thinks he doesn't deserve a second chance. Mm-hmm. And Natasha, who has been given a second chance and made the most of it, thinks that people deserve second chances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Um, you know, there's the argument that maybe the, that scene could have been handled a little bit better, but I do think that's her motivation. That scene is like, you know, don't sacrifice yourself just because you think you don't deserve to live anymore. You don't deserve happiness. Uh, you know, she sees where Clint gave her a second chance at life and now she's doing the same for him. You know, if, if anything, she, her mind that's making it even. Then the question becomes, like, does someone who has done those things for five years deserve a second chance? 
uh, you know, Kate very easily comes to the conclusion, yes, you know, well, you did all these other good things. So, of course, you, you know, and everyone processed the trauma of the blip in different ways, which, you know, the trauma doesn't excuse poor behavior necessarily, but it does explain it. You know, I think it's interesting that they're coming at these questions and I'm wondering how much more we're going to get of that, you know, in the, in, with only one episode <clears> left. <throat> The the thing that this show has done is, you know, in Endgame, we see him, you know, kill a bunch of Yakuza or whatever. And it's like, oh, wow, Clint's killing bad guys now. Oh, that's that's such a fall from grace. One, this show points out when he talks about him being a weapon, he really, he draws parallels between his time as Ronan with his time at S.H.I.E.L.D. And he's like, you know, is it any different? You know, it's just how I was used as a weapon. Uh, and and then the other thing it does is it makes it personal by showing us the Maya's backstory. Now he's not just killing these nameless people; he's killing someone that we spent a couple of minutes with, uh, someone who is a sympathetic character up to the point where he gets killed by Clint. And that it brings into question, uh, I guess, what I would call movie morality. Uh, when you think about you know, famous redemption stories um, in movies. Darth Vader is like always the first one I think of. He killed a bunch of people in those movies. He was, you know, complicit in the destruction of an entire planet. But by the end of those three movies, he gets a redemption. We're all like, oh, that's great. And I remember, you know, when uh, when the sequels were coming out, uh, especially before before the final one, uh, before episode nine came out, a lot of people were talking about, oh, can Kylo Ren be redeemed the way Darth Vader was? And I know people who said, no, he can't because he killed Han Solo. And it is worse to a viewer if you kill someone with a name and a story that we know than if you uh-huh. kill a billion people that uh-huh. we've never heard of. Uh, and by it, it's just the way our brains work. Right. You know, uh, you know, a million deaths is a, is a statistic. One's a tragedy. Right. And, and that's how they... You know, by doing it with these nameless people first, you just get the abstract idea of, oh, Clint kills people now. Sad. By showing Maya's father, now we're like, oh, wow. Think of all the people that he hurt. And now, you know, as viewers, we are left to wonder now, can he be redeemed? What what does redemption mean? Does redemption always have to mean death in these stories? Because it feels like that's how it usually goes. The, the deathbed redemption of the guy who did bad things. Right. A- and I don't think that's the only way mm-hmm. because like when when Nat you know sacrifices herself so that Clint can live, it's going to be a real bummer if it's like, well, Nat, you were wrong. He had to die because he killed someone and it made us sad. You know, I, I think that there can be a redemption where he lives a better life from now on. And, you know, he doesn't, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, how do you think like his redemption could come about? Do you think they're even going to deal with it, or they're just going to kind of shuffle it back under the rug and say, "But he's he's Hawkeye, yeah." So two things, but to that point you just brought up, are we sure he's not going to die on Wednesday? I'm not sure he's not going to die. Okay. I I bring might, that up. They might meet, tie it up by just not answering the question, and and I think that's kind of lazy and it's just what people expect yes, uh you know so i i would be i would be bummed if he died because i like this character more than i ever have thanks to the show 
I and, think Dylan uh, died because of his family. It's eh. yeah, exactly. His family of Why? bad actors, but still his family. <laughs> oh, Linda Cardellini's good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's like we've we've it would be sad for his family, and now it's like I don't know. Just redemption does not have to equal death. I I feel right. like I think, and it also doesn't have to be clean. Yeah. You know, I think that you could live with your mistakes, you know, and and carry on. And, you know, it could be a burden that you always carry, but you but you carry it forward and mm-hmm. you and you live better from then on. You know, what's interesting yeah. to me is that this is a conversation about Hawkeye and the comparison is Black Widow. Like, again, I'm not throwing shade at Natasha because we all have decided that we love her, but she has also killed a metric fuck ton of people Mm -hmm. and her sister forgives her for it. Now, granted a lot of those people that she killed were probably while she was being brainwashed. Uh, but she did a lot of killing when she wasn't brainwashed too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of a, a strange comparison that maybe Yelena will come to the conclusion of maybe this is how she realizes that Clint's not that bad because if her sister could be redeemed for the things that she has done for the red in her ledger, as she would call it, then maybe Clint can have some red in his ledger too, and still be an okay guy. I think part of the change. And I think the, the show is actually addressing about what I has already kind of addressed about what I'm going to say is as the season opened, not to completely absolve anyone involved, but I think I kind of filed Hawkeye's time with S.H.I.E.L.D. as working as a government agent for other people. And Natasha's time with the KGB? Or, or as a widow, as working for a government agency doing her job. Whereas Hawkeye's time at Ronin I had previously interpreted as, nah, he just went rogue and killed people for his own therapy. And now I think the show is kind of restructuring it as, no, this was just, this was his job during the blip. Not a good job, Not doesn't absolve him of everything, but not quite the same as just, yeah, I'm just going to kill people to get over losing my family, which is kind of how I felt. Um, yeah. All, and, and also, to that same point, I have to mea culpa because I think probably the second episode, I brought up, like, we don't, we don't, Clint Barton was a bad dude, and or at the very least morally gray, and we don't really address it. And my bad, that's exactly what this show has become about and i think doing it in a very smart way i was we hadn't addressed it much going on going in the past we didn't address it much at the start of the season robbie is, you're doing the internet wrong you're supposed to make an opinion regardless of whether you have enough facts or not and then stick to those guns no matter what facts change i'm really bad at that i uh I <laughs> cap my, said hail hydra marvel's anti-semitic yeah <laughs> i change my opinions on a dime so i think that i think that's a, a good quality despite what people tell me um uh, but no i i really appreciate that they're addressing something that i felt was an elephant in a room but just gonna get glossed over and i mean they had two great scenes about it and also i think the framing from like a from a a television show creation standpoint we went from yelena questioning how are you so sure he's a good guy how are you so sure about this and kate bishop saying you know no i know i know he's a good person to directly going to him in the apartment of grills and grills just no, you can sleep on my bed. You can you can have whatever you want because you saved the city. You saved the world. You're a hero. 
Like, I, I don't think it's an accident that they juxtaposed Yelena's vision of him and Grill's vision of him back to back from one shot to another like that. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's actually going to be poetic if this show ends. You know, Clint talked in the last episode about how he was sent to kill Natasha, a black widow, and made a different call. And it would be pretty poetic if it ends with a black widow being sent to kill Clint and ending up making a different call in the end. Alanis Morissette would sing about that. Don't you think? It reminds me of a video game. I know Peaches has played it where you... um... It's kind of a similar question where there's someone that dies and then eventually you end up playing as the person that killed uh, the person that died. And that, I think what the game was trying to kind of show you was that you don't necessarily know what people are going through, what they have gone through, and the reasons why they've done the things that they've done. And we need to stop this sort of nameless, like we don't care about the nameless and only care about those that we know. Right, we don't we don't put ourselves in in other people's shoes very often, um, and I think this show has been do this show has been trying to speak that message for a little while now. Even Kate's original conversation with Clint a few episodes ago, where they talk about the whole Ronan thing and talk about him and and all the things that he's done, and you know, she's like, "Well, no, you've you've changed," and he's like, "Well, that's not that's not necessarily fair. Like, what constitutes?" a crime like it just because i was killing bad people doesn't mean i was necessarily doing what was right uh so i i think the show is headed in an interesting direction i want to see where this like this specific story goes obviously it's going to end with yelena doing something whether it's kill clint or not killing clint so it'll it's be appalling to me that somehow there's only one episode to handle all this yeah it's insane <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it kind of worries me because I felt like all of the Disney Plus shows, and I, this is pretty constant with all of them, I think, they all have this pretty similar pace, episodes one through X minus one, where X is whatever the last episode number is. And then the last episode travels at like twice or three times the speed. Yeah. I don't, I don't personally like that very much. I think the best one... The, the one that did that the least was Loki. And that's because Jonathan Majors had a 25 minute monologue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm worried that well, one could argue me. that that's kind of the same thing. Those, Oh, we got one episode left, better have this guy explain yes. everything. I, right. Yeah. I, that's I, that's I was, also true. I was more disappointed than you guys were in the Loki finale for exactly the reason you're saying mm-hmm. the redeeming value of me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't find it disappointing. I wasn't on that episode to explain myself. I gotcha. liked that episode a lot. Right. I'm just so, saying, right. That's what I don't I'm want, I was more disappointed yeah. about it than you guys were for mm-hmm. that reason, despite how amazing Jonathan majors was. Yeah. Like his performance kind of made it work mm-hmm. in spite of yes. and like uh, and that. And then the promise of a season two. Yeah. I was like, I okay. Well, fine. Yeah. I agree with you peaches. I have been, very mildly disappointed by every Marvel Disney Plus finale. I'll have a caveat there. Um, yeah. For the exact same reason, the pacing about setting up a bunch of threads and then having to cram them through in the end. Now that's different. Again, I didn't hate them. I enjoyed, I think I've enjoyed every season finale. I think I have enjoyed all but one series. But still, I think there is a little bit of, uh, you kind of put yourself in too many corners. You have to, you know, punch your way through real quick at the end. And I guess I probably just have to accept based on history, it's about to happen again. The caveat, by the way, is 
I had the same problems with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier finale, yet be, it was still better than the rest of that series somehow. Which Yes. <laughs> that was a weird one where it was like, okay, this finale was actually fun. Also, it, it was rushed, but it was fun. Yeah. I don't I guess I just don't get it. I mean, hindsight is 2020, right? Like we can mm-hmm. go back and look at all of those individual series and go, okay, here's 40 minutes of between all the other episodes, here's 40 minutes of fluff. So take that 40 minutes of fluff out, take some of the stuff that you crammed in the finale and put it in earlier episodes so that it feels like it's a more consistent speed mm-hmm. or just if you need to cram two episodes worth of shit in one episode, just make two episodes. Like I uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand the, the film production. I don't understand how that works. So maybe they don't have the time or the money or the resources or whatever it is. I am completely, that is a blind spot in my, my knowledge bank. It may but, also be intentional. They may think that this is good. They may think that a, a blistering paced finale where a bunch of stuff is just maybe not even answered quickly despite the blistering place. They, well, that may be what they want. Well, Disney executive, if you're listening, we're here to tell you assembly required is here to tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> that is, yeah, not, that you should not do that. Listen to us. And we once know again, what we're talking about once again, I <laughs> promise that points. I'm not trying to be still complain. I actually, I've still managed to enjoy pretty much all these finales. It's just, Feel, agree with Peaches, feel like it could be paced a little better. Hey, I guess also we're speculating about a thing we haven't seen yet, too. So Yeah, <laughs> they could absolutely said, stick the landing right, on this. Right, yeah, and... right. Also, now that you've said that, we all said the same thing about Daredevil Season 1, too. We all said the exact same thing yeah. of a bunch of episodes oh, yeah. that maybe some of us felt were a little slow, and then all of a sudden everything happened in the finale. Yeah. And some of the stuff in the finale just had to happen, like just had to be this goes to this wasn't set up until that moment. It was set up in the finale, almost like you can watch the finale without watching anything else. Yeah. Kate admits that she doesn't know where Clint is and Yelena thanks her for the girls night and gets up to go before she leaves. She tells Kate to not get in her way. Sorry to interrupt you again so quickly, but I just wanted to say that this, uh, this was a scene I really wanted as soon as we saw how good this Kate Bishop was. Um, I wanted these two actresses together in a scene, and this was fantastic. This conversation between the two of them was the bulk of this of the episode, and it was great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Florence Pugh was amazing, and herself in this scene, uh, phenomenal act- actressing from being, you know, her her clever, amusing self to at the end, it, she t- spins on a dime to be serious about the danger of Clint Barton um, to being incredibly threatening when she's leaving and she doesn't make eye contact as she tells her not to stand in her way. Great actressing. Um, I would like to see them together again, though, partly because while the scene was great, Haley Steinfeld is not the fun Kate Bishop because she's terrified and nervous and upset the whole time. I really want to see their sassy personalities get to play off each other in the next episode at some point because I, I, that's something I really want. I hope they become friends, and I hope we get to watch that process take some time. That's the other thing. That is going to be a very fun dynamic. I really hope that this season of this show is also not the last time they're together. I don't think it's going to. I think the idea is they are in some way going to be part of the 
the team ups going forward in the MCU. Yeah, a Hawkeye and a Black Widow have to be pals. Yeah. And you know, that's the funny thing is that to me, that doesn't even feel forced that it's like, oh, we're getting Hawkeye and Black Widow together again because they've come together naturally here. And I just, just blow be- Robbie's mind. I didn't even make the connection. Okay. <laughs> okay. And. And what I I don't even think those characters have had anything to do with each other in the comics, really, right? I don't Elena think so. And Kate. Uh, but so I think that would be a very fun dynamic. Yeah. What this is what the MCU has done really well is introducing the characters and then okay, well, this is the state of the world as we introduce these characters. How are they going to come together? And I think they've kind of struck gold getting two really talented young actresses as these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Haley Steinfeld is, I've, I've always enjoyed and everything I've seen her in. And then Florence Pugh is just one of those actors who you can't not pay attention to when she's mm-hmm. in a scene. I could think of another actor in a movie I saw yesterday that I felt that way about. Um <laughs> Where even even when they're with other heavy hitters, there's just something about them that like draws you to them, and I think she is one of those people, and uh, and she also just seems to be having the time of her life with this. Yeah, I need the three of those together now that you say that. Yeah. The. Th- I need those three actresses together in a scene at some point in the MCU. Now that you say, oh, that. that's not who I was thinking of, but also yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was thinking of someone we probably won't be seeing uh, in the uh, MCU. That's the who I thought. That's who I thought you were talking. Yeah. About. Yeah. 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 Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. But okay. now that you mentioned that, um, I will just go ahead and say yes. Let's get let's get some day in there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know now. I know who you meant. Okay. Oh my Ned. god. Oh. Ned. Yes, obviously. <laughs> The next day, Clint returns to Eleanor's townhouse and finds the police questions Jack about Sloane. Eleanor admits that Kate to Kate that she looked into Sloane, and Jack overhears and says that he doesn't blame her for calling the police. He says that he's been framed and will clear it up, and the police detectives take him. What I believe him. What if, yeah, what if Jack literally is just stupid? What if he's just been <laughs> stupid this whole time? He's- he is absolutely okay. just a patsy. Yeah, Eleanor, I yeah. Think. I uh-huh. don't believe him. I And once again, I'll put myself on record uh, and so that I can be wrong. I think he was, he is in it with Eleanor. I do think he's probably stupid, and I do think Eleanor is the brains here. But I also think that he is legitimately uh, corrupt and is just, I, I, I think they went behind closed doors and Eleanor said, hey, Kate found out, I'm going to have to get you arrested, but we'll get you out. And then he's putting on his whole show as he's being arrested. I think that was bad acting. But Not bad I, acting by the actor. Bad acting by the character. No, it was weird but acting I by the actor. I do think he's... I th- yes. think he is doing what Eleanor and Fisk ask of him, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm, on, I'm on your... I basically believe everything you just said, too. I want to circle back to something real quick, because I don't think there's another opportunity to say it. Uh, because it was a, a little touch that I liked in the writing. There is um, when Kate and Yelena are speaking to each other, um, part of uh, Yelena's dialogue is like intentionally broken English. And I thought that that was a really good touch mm-hmm. to give just a really subtle thing to give to someone who is not primarily speaking English most mm-hmm. of her life. I don't remember what the exact quote is. She's talking about 
she does the she lists three things and in the second thing she says something that doesn't translate one to one between mm-hmm. probably russian and english mm-hmm. I, and i just thought that that was really cool anyways also quick note on this scene just a i'm sure this is just an easter egg it's not even an intended easter egg and has no meaning but y'all recognize the exterior of the bishop uh penthouse no. It is no. the Osborne penthouse from the Sam Raimi films. What? Yeah. Okay, I don't think there's anything to it. I don't think there's anything to it. But... Someone's living in my house? <laughs> no, wait, maybe there is something to it. Oh my god. Someone's living in my house. There's no Oscorp. You're right. That would be his house. You're right. He would go oh, there. Oh, shit. Would... Oh my god. I see you're somewhat of a tenant. (laughs) I'm somewhat of a tenant myself. (laughs) I I mean, I still think it might just be a coincidence, but now that you say that, they may know what they're doing. (laughs) It also might have just been an accident that like, ah, but it works. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Whoa. Clint goes to a memorial to the Avengers, takes out his hearing aid, and talks to Natasha about how she always had to win, even for the Infinity Stone. Says that he does his best every day to earn what she gave him, and wanted to say that he misses her, and he's sorry for what he's about to do. In her room, Kate looks at her trophies and her photos of Hawkeye, then at her own bow. She calls Clint, tells him to call her back, and says that they need to talk about Yelena. Kate leaves multiple messages saying it's his fault, she keeps calling him and that eventually she's going to find him. Uh, there are two guys from the tracksuits driving a van to the warehouse and Clint shoots an arrow through their windshield with a note to Maya telling her to meet him alone that night where Maya first met Ronan. That was a very funny scene, by the way, them discussing other famous people who've worn tracksuits <laughs> <laughs> while they're listening to Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Yep. I'm also a big fan of trust bro. As a movie company. <laughs> Every time I see that, I laugh. That night, Clint walks down the street and calls Laura. He says that the problem just keeps getting bigger. Maya has the watch, and someone has hired a widow. We still don't know what this damn watch is about. Oh, you're yeah, right. That better, get, that better get answered. I mean, it's going to, but like, the last episode? I think it will. Is it going to get answered? Mm, yeah, and how do you not leave some breadcrumbs about what the watch is? How do you not, how do you just go through the whole season without even allowing the viewer to think that they can piece together what the watch is. Mm. Well, there have been some breadcrumbs. It's something that Clint knows about, mm-hmm. and he's given an explanation that feels like it's maybe not 100% true. Okay. Um, the watch is and, and when Maya has the watch, she's able to use it to figure out Clint's family's names, apparently. I do she, not so have she's... a tingle for these breadcrumbs. <laughs> Doesn't work with bread, huh? Um... I think that we're supposed to assume that it's tied to Clint somehow. Maybe he used it while he was Ronan, and that's how he was able to like locate, you know, or or get his assignments if he was working for someone. Like, let's say if he was working for Val or Fisk or someone, uh, and or or if anyone, if he was just like a for hire guy, um, maybe I know that there's been some speculation. We talked about last time that I don't necessarily love that it's uh, connected to Laura Barton, um, which I don't, I don't, I, I still think yeah. I'd like it better if she's a normal person I'm, and not like a former criminal or 
secret agent or something. Yeah, I'm still seeing the Mockingbird stuff around. I think, I think this episode of Hawkeye and also something else we just saw should probably confirm that we already know who Mockingbird is in this universe. I, I certainly hope so. Now, I will say that um, there's an idea that Mockingbird was a program within S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, okay. So while Laura might not be Bobby Morris, she could be a Mockingbird, and Mockingbird is like the S.H.I.E.L.D. answer to the Black Widow program. Yeah, that, you might be right. I still don't want her to be a Mockingbird, though. But Also agreed. But it would be better than making her, oh, Bobby Morris living under an alias. Um, I know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is... You know, a complicated mm-hmm. thing to bring into it, but but it's really I, I just think Adrian Padalecki is a great Bobby Morris. I'd like to see her back someday if they ever bring that character back. It is really interesting how much I think we all like this series, and it's are spending all of our time really stressed about what's going to happen in this series. You know, Chris just said the word locate in a way that generated a really stupid joke in my head, and I won't be able to sleep tonight if I don't just say it, so... If Catherine Bishop is crouching and she spots something, does that mean locate locates? <laughs> no, that's pretty solid. Thank you. That was good. That's good. That's all I have. That was good. That night, Clint walks down the street and calls Laura, says that the problem just keeps getting bigger. Maya has the watch. I already said this. Clint figures his family isn't far enough away, and it's only a matter of time until the big guy gets involved. Laura tells him to follow his gut and tells her husband that he doesn't need permission from her to do what he has to do. I kind of like this scene between them. She's like, I kind of like the this. We, we don't get the classic, you need to stop doing what you're doing. Like, you're hurting. Like, it's just like, you're. I'm your wife. You're my husband. Like, I trust you. I, I trust your judgment, what you're doing. You know, if you need to do something like that, I trust that it's, the right decision. And that is why I so badly want her to just be a regular person, because I think it's really interesting relationship that way. If she doesn't have a past in this kind of thing, but she's like, I know this is you and I trust you to do the right thing and to do what's necessary for our family. Yeah. It's very healthy. Clint goes to the locker where he stashed the Ronin costume as well as the sword and he gets them. At the Fat Man Auto Shop where her father died, Maya waits with her men hiding nearby. They were not subtle at all. No, not even a little bit. And and I think I think that was what they were going for. I think they wanted everyone who knew about such things to be like, well, it's got to be him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like the anti is she Agatha? Is she you know, or the anti Mephisto or or Pietro or any of that? It was just very much a we're setting this up. Everyone who's in the know is going to get it. Everyone else is going to be like, oh, I wonder who this guy's going to be. I hope Kingpin's actually Ralph Boner now. <laughs> At the Fat Man Auto Shop where her father died, Maya waits with her men hiding nearby. Uh, Ronan does his best Batman impression and takes them all out. It's, it honestly felt like a level from Batman Arkham, one of the Batman Arkham games, because they were all just like Absolutely. spread out. There's a He took out the sniper first, and then he went behind the cards and took each one of them out one by one. I like how intentionally comic booky that fight, or that scene was because if you pay if you pay more than a second of attention to any one of those knockouts that clint has they are very almost like a like an acme cartoon like the the second guy he takes out with the baseball bat he 
pulls him to the ground like a horror movie, drags him under the car, and then like three seconds after he falls and gets dragged under the car, the baseball bat falls. You know, like when Wile E. Coyote is running and then he realizes that there's nothing beneath him and then he falls? Like that's what happened with that baseball bat. And like the way that another one of the guys got like absolutely yeeted across the parking lot was like, how the hell did Clint do that? Like it was very much a a cartoon in a stealthy fight scene. And I thought that was really cool. Maya realizes what's going on and draws her gun. She shoots at Ronan, who she catches glimpses of moving in the shadows. When Maya stops to reload, Ronan steps out and Maya attacks him hand to hand. Ronan finally knocks Maya down, removes his mask and reveals that he is in fact Clint Barton. He says that he wanted her to see his face and says that if anyone comes after him or his family, it'll be the last thing that they do that they do. Clint tells Maya that they're both weapons, but her rage lets her be used. He says that he was there that night because he was tipped off by an informant working for her boss, and her boss wanted Maya's father dead. Maya knocks Clint down, disarms him, and prepares to kill him. But suddenly, Kate, who is nearby, who is on a nearby rooftop, shoots the sword out of Maya's hand, and Clint slips away. Maya gets on her motorcycle, takes off, while Kate finds Clint and admits that he tracked her phone. She tracked his phone, excuse me. Grills is waiting for them in his car, and Kate called him there as part of her escape plan. Was it Grills? I thought that she called oh, it was, an Uber. Yeah, it was an Uber. I'm sorry. And Yeah, and she used a fake name. Yep. Yeah. Are you Tabitha? Was... Yeah. Kazi drives to the rendezvous that Maya has called to him, and she says that Ronan got away. She asked why Kazi wasn't at the meeting the night her father was killed, and Kazi claims that he didn't get the call. Maya assures Kazi that it's nothing and drives off on her motorcycle, and we all can see that it was clearly Kazi who was the informant. He has no poker face for a bad guy. His poker face is terrible. (laughs) In the car, Kate tells Clint that there's one more thing they should worry about. She tells him about Yelena. She said that she was Natasha's sister, and they get to Grill's apartment. I guess we get our answer. While Clint did know about Elena, he didn't. He doesn't know what she looks like. So Elena follows Anna, Eleanor into a townhouse. Clint, Kate, and Grills have a meal and feed the dog scraps. Elena sends Kate a photo of Eleanor meeting with the big guy and says that Eleanor hired her. Kate shows Clint the photo of the big guy and he identifies the big guy as Wilson Fisk. The guy he's been worried about the whole time, the kingpin, and it's not just any. It's 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 Vincent the kingpin. D'Onofrio. It's Vincent yeah. D'Onofrio. It is that kingpin. Yeah. Oh baby. And it's crazy and that we picked the... this, and yet I still got wildly excited. Oh, well, yeah, yeah me, I, me too. Me too. I, I, I finished this episode, and I was like, man, I was right about literally everything. <laughs> I'm, right. I am uh, I am a genius. For the first time ever. I've been wrong right. about literally every other show. I thought right. I knew what every other, where every other show was going, but this one, I got it. Right, Eleanor is your... the bad guy. She is working for Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk. It's... Yeah. When it comes to your least favorite, one of your least favorite Marvel superheroes, Eduardo, you are uh, 100% on the money. <laughs> yeah, it's because he's so predictable. What a... <laughs> it's cool to have him confirmed it's cool to know we'll get at least some vincent d'onofrio again it was cool seeing his name 
in the credits, even though all we saw was a blurry cell phone shot. Like it was, man, man, it's so exciting. Um, what I loved, first of all, excellent use of your mean one, Mr. Grinch. Uh, mm-hmm. The way the music in the scene actually built into the intro of the song. Um, I will say that for some weird reason, they put the fir- the end, the final line of the first line of that song, they put at the end of the second line as well. And it sounded weird because it doesn't rhyme. Uh, so that made me a little upset because it's my favorite Christmas song. Because Wait, I'm I didn't notice that. Big what? Fan of... what line is supposed yeah, to be there? So... so so the first one is the one that uh, that ends. Uh, you're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mister Grinch. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. The second verse ends with uh, your braid is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mister Grinch. And it's supposed to go. I wouldn't touch you with a thirty-nine and a half foot pole. But they just played the you're a bad banana with a greasy black peel again. What? Weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that bothered me. Uh, so I'm just getting that out there right now. What yeah. is um, even the point of that? The, is that I, offensive somehow? I, I'm not trying to sound like a like a boomer, but is that offensive? I feel like what they did was because I think they wanted the music transition of the first verse uh, because it has the at the end of the first verse. And I think the second verse has like a shorter version of that. Um, huh. But... the. the that was completely unnecessary. Um, I will prove it to you at the end of this episode. Awesome. <laughs> um, but um, but yes, other, other than that, I was extremely excited to hear that song. And it was a hilarious song to pair with, with the Kingpin. Uh, and just was like the perfect button on that episode. And then the final shot in the credits with Kingpin's silhouette overseeing the city was just awesome. I had thought maybe that we were all super blind and had missed that for four other episodes, three mm-hmm. other episodes. <laughs> and so I was like, wait a second. How dumb are we? Went back. No, there was no silhouette before. Don't worry. We're not that. We're not that dumb. I want to speak on Kingpin. And I don't know if you'll... What's that? Oh, I was going to say, I don't know if you all saw that um, Vincent D'Onofrio tweeted a picture of that shot from the credits. He did. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. The caption, when I was a boy. <laughs> yes. No, I my biggest takeaway from this episode it kind of involves something we talked about previously. I, I had mentioned that TikTok, uh, that Marvel TikToker who was talking about how she didn't think that Clint actually killed Maya's father, and I think um, I think we now know that that is not the case that he did do it. But I and, and I don't know if this is obvious. I don't know if this is like Robbie and our second episode of the show going like, I bet it's the Kingpin. Um, But I think it's just interesting based on the dialogue in this episode, how Clint talks about the big man, uh, the Kingpin, every time he refers to him, it feels more like maybe during the blip, you know, Clint talks about being used as a weapon and being pointed by the right or the wrong person and this and that. It almost feels to me like, Clint actually worked for the Kingpin. I think he's not scared of him because he is just an adversary. I think he's scared of him because he knows exactly what Kingpin is capable of because he has a much more direct involvement with Kingpin's work. I I think they either worked together or he worked for him. And that's why he knows that he doesn't want to get his attention. 
and yeah, maybe maybe Clint uh, was forced, uh, asked, uh, commanded, whatever, to take out tracksuit upper management. I don't think that they're going to say that that's why we forgive him. I hope they don't say that's why he forgive we forgive him. Um, but I'm leaning more towards, yeah, Kingpin told Hawkeye to do this thing, and he did the thing. Um, so he did it, but maybe he, you know, again, not saying it makes him less guilty, but, you know, maybe he did it under orders from Kingpin himself. And that's part of the problem, right? Especially because if Maya finds all this out, she's going to find out that while Clint was the one with the sword, Kingpin, her uncle, was the one that commanded him to take out her father, which I think is enough leverage to get her down the maybe anti-hero mixed morality sort of hero that we're probably going to get in the echo show. Yeah. I think that there is certainly a possibility that, that Clint was working for Kingpin. Uh, There's also a possibility since he was tipped off by an informant who worked for Kingpin that he never actually worked with him directly, but uh, again, was sort of, you know, brokered into it by like Fisk saying to Kazi, go get the Ronin and have him take out these people. So maybe, even if he never works directly with Kingpin, he's certainly aware of who he is and what he represents. Uh, clearly, uh, Fisk was still around during the blip. And I think that was, I think we even talked about this as an idea that maybe he used those five years to consolidate his power again. Maybe, maybe Matt Murdock was blipped. Uh, you know, maybe that's something we might find out someday. Uh, I think that just the introduction of Wilson Fisk as an antagonist here is really exciting you know, for one, one really, uh, well, for a lot of reasons, you know, just bringing in, starting to bring in some of those Netflix and other TV characters into the MCU again is really exciting. But also I think that what, what we've seen of this phase so far, phase four, the infinity saga is more meandering than people remember it as, but towards the end, it was all funneling towards building up to Infinity War and Endgame. So you had this cosmic threat that was going to bring all these heroes together. And what I think we're seeing in Phase 4, with the films and the TV shows in particular, it's broadening out, and I think they're trying to expand the MCU so that it has something closing the breadth of of the comic universe where you have your street level corner you have your cosmic corner you have your avengers and then there will be forces that bring them together but there will be major concerns in each of those little sort of sections of the mcu as well and then they'll you know cross over going forward and i think one way that that is necessary because you need some heroes who are not overpowered like avengers level superheroes uh you need people like clint barton and kate bishop and yelena belova and you need threats for those characters going forward and if kingpin is around he is a great person to be sort of the big boss of the uh, street level heroes and you know he could be a major 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 player going forward not necessarily someone that we'll be seeing when Galactus shows up or something like that. But 
you know, he could still factor into it in smaller ways and seeing the fallout of, you know, whatever, whatever big forces come together, King the Conqueror, whatever, uh, whatever comes together to, to bring those heroes, then seeing how it then trickles into the street level storylines or, you know, the storylines over here, over there, whatever it might be. So I, I'm excited to see how the universe expands now. Because we've gotten so many things about the multiverse lately, but that is not a storyline that really matters to a lot of these characters when you think about it. Uh, certainly it matters to people like Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and Loki, but you know it doesn't matter to Matt Murdock or, or Kate Bishop. But having these different level, levels, different layers of the MCU, different threats for different people... And then, you know, throwing them together to see what happens. You know, I, I'm just really excited that, you know, maybe instead of having one large overarching story, we'll have a lot of different stories we can follow through a lot of different things and then, you know, see what how they converge later on. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what I was hoping. Exactly what you said. He's the perfect big bad of the street levels. And I just really wanted them to get him established you know, we had Loki around for a really, really long time as a villain that could be brought back when you needed. Um, we obviously had Thanos. He, Thanos only showed up in two minute movies, but we had Thanos as the, the big cosmic threat. And I, I just love the idea of Kingpin serving that role of in the background as the puppeteer for the street level stuff that happens. So getting him back, just, man, that's really exciting. I, I think I agree with Peaches on, I think that what we're being sold is that Ronan was either directly or indirectly working for Kingpin. Um, I, and that's an interesting twist uh, that I think has some comic book roots and definitely Kingpin killed Maya's father in the comics. So I think that they clearly were inspired by that. Uh, and then one other thing I think is interesting about the reveal of Kingpin here is that he is not... Hawkeye doesn't say that's Wilson Fisk. Hawkeye says that's the Kingpin. And we've talked about how in this series... People are just saying Hawkeye, even though we didn't really in the film say Hawkeye. They're just, yeah, that's Hawkeye. And they're doing the same thing here. That's Kingpin. Uh, in the Netflix show, they never said it in the first season. The second season, Wilson Fisk has a line about, I'm the Kingpin here, uh, it, referring to um, when he's in jail. Season three, I think, I think there may have been like news reports that called him the Kingpin or something like that, but I don't remember. But for the most part, the Netflix series was Wilson Fisk, not the kingpin you know that's a little bit too comic booky whereas here it is very much yeah that's the kingpin that's his name he's the kingpin and i thought that was interesting of all the names for them to possibly shy away from from being and i'm doing air quotes here comic booky kingpin is like the least comic booky that yes. is not even that much of a stretch to say like the mob boss is the kingpin yeah uh, that's one they could have used very naturally yeah like you got a big green guy that you call the Hulk. That's weirder than King. You thought Lethal Protectors was a shit name. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Star Lord. Like what? Uh, also, if Vincent D'Onofrio does not show up as a major player in a future Spider-Man film, I riot. And yep. I know Robbie's with me. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we, we said it once on this uh, podcast that um, he is 
Daredevil's primarily primary villain, but he is primarily a Spider-Man villain. So, and and I think I said this. I said this right before the episode. Also, at some point, if we do not get, if the MCU does not find a way to give me at least one storyline that has um, Spider-Man, Daredevil, and She-Hulk together, I will burn Utica to the ground. <laughs> I I uh, also think I think it would be really cool. Uh, the status quo in the comics right now is that Fisk has been the mayor of New York for a couple years now. And I think that would be a great way to, uh, a, a great direction to go to really have him as a, a sort of an, almost an untouchable threat to the heroes. And, and, you know, that would give him a lot of power. He actually orga- reorganized the Thunderbolts recently when the God of the Symbiotes attacked, uh, the planet. So, you know, may- We've talked about how maybe Val might be, you know, assembling some kind of Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts type team. Uh, maybe she's doing it with funding from the Kingpin. You know, there, there's a lot of possibilities that are on the table now that Kingpin is around. That immediately reminded me of the government, the, the woman in Luke Cage who worked for the government that was like funding Cottonmouth. It's been so long since I've seen Luke Cage. I don't remember her name. I just know that she was what his sister was she Cottonmouth's sister yeah the one that ends up taking over yes but i don't right am i thinking of the right familial relationship i don't remember she was definitely a government person though she was like but she was like an elected official yeah 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 that's what it reminded me of all right so uh ratings well i guess we'll talk about where this is going but i think we all know that they're just going to stuff everything that we hopefully want to know into the last episode right maybe yeah yeah i think that's right i i i have a sad feeling based on what i know we we already talked about this so i won't get too far into it but i just have a sad feeling that they're going to do another like three times speed just answer all these questions as fast as you can like rapid fire and i mean we got to know about the watch we got to know about the resolution we got to know maybe at least a kickoff of why maya is going to change her opinion uh her feelings to become whatever she's going to become in her show is hawkeye's family going to be okay i mean we gotta we gotta solve all of these things right and i feel like it's just gonna be like boom 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 a lot of balls in the air right now yeah and you know hopefully they can finish strong uh i'm hoping that it's also leading to a season two announcement personally i would yeah yeah and you know i sort of think what if we're getting multiple teams like chris had said like what if we're getting the different the different sections but what if we're getting like a civil war two what if we're getting like a like a a a val avengers versus a spider-man led avengers or team like that type story in a broader stroke, one of the things I also, one of the directions I think we might be heading, and one of the things this might be setting up in the MCU, is there was a lot of talk when Endgame was coming out about, please just get the Defenders in there. Even if I just see them, please get the Defenders in there. But at that point, it was very much, no, TV, film, and for a lot of reasons. And I'm wondering if going forward, we might not have that like kate bishop is is hawkeye and she's mostly on the small screen but when we get to our next big screen team ups do we maybe bring out 
Disney Plus characters. And I think we are headed that way. Oh, I think oh, they yeah. are we, already, say, yeah. we already know that because like in the Marvels, we're going to be getting uh, Monica and and Kamala. Uh, okay, along that, with that's fantastic. Carol, so yeah, so so the the line, and I think this is a good thing. The line is blurred. You know, people that you know characters that they don't think are going to carry their own films will get series, but that doesn't mean we won't see them in films when they belong in the films. And I I really like that idea. Mm-hmm. And I think Disney Plus is pervasive enough and has enough saturation in the market that they can kind of comfortably say, "Y'all, our viewers have seen this." Or seen enough of it that they're fine. And also, I, I think we've kind of established from some of our readers and some of our, our some readers, listeners and some of our conversations that also it's not actually important that someone sees every single backstory for every single hero in one of these crossovers. So what are you going to rate episode five Ronin of Hawkeye? Uh, Robbie, we'll start with you. Uh, I loved it. There was This was just a talking episode. People sat and talked to each other. And those conversations were compelling and interesting, and it had a fantastic reveal at the end. So I am going to give it nine boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese topped with sriracha out of ten. Peach? Uh, you know, I think this episode was important. Overall, though, it did not feel like a pentultimate episode to me. Just knowing that we only have one left and how much there is to solve, and this episode was just mostly talking... Yes, there are some cool. Reve- There's a cool reveal, characters hanging out together that we want to see. But I don't know this this one. While cool, didn't really do it for me. Uh, see, episode three is still my favorite episode of this show. It was still very good though, so I gave it eight Sex in the City fantasies out of ten. Uh, <laughs> who wants it next? Uh, uh, I'll go next. Um... I this is probably my favorite episode so far. Big part of that is just the joy of having Yelena back. Uh, what a great character, and very excited to see her going forward. And yeah, please more of Yelena and Kate team up. Uh, let's get an actual team up. Hopefully before the series is over. Uh, yeah, just really enjoyed it. And then you know the cherry on top was getting Kingpin at the end, knowing that they're not just gonna keep hiding that and being coy about it. That they did a great job of setting him up and that hopefully he's going to be a pretty, you know, we'll at least see him in this next episode. So uh, I went ahead and I gave it nine instant bathroom remodels out of 10. Eduardo finishes off. Only way I know how Chris, uh, I think, uh, I think I agree with peaches a little bit. I think I liked the episode a lot. I loved Yelena. I liked the Kingpin reveal, but I thought, you know, a little expository, a little... I mean, there were some really interesting themes in there. But once again, I feel like I haven't been blown away by an episode yet. Like, I, all of the episodes have been good, but there hasn't been, a like, a great episode for me yet. So I'm going to give it eight big guys out of ten. And I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. If you want to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash assembly required. Huge shout out to our ventures level patrons, Brian, Adrian, and Michael. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's going to be at assemblycast. If you want to email the show, assembly required cast at gmail.com. If you want to follow all of us individually on Twitter, uh, at uh, D underscore peaches for peaches, Bill Kid three for Robbie, Gator Sax 2010 for Chris, and ABCD Eduardo one for myself. It's going to do it for myself. For Peaches, for Chris, for Robbie.
We love you, 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Hail Hydra. Bubbly, bubbly. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch, with a nauseous super nos. You're a crooked jerky jockey and you drive a crooked hoss, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich. With arsenic sauce George Michael, meanwhile, had just been broken up with by his first girlfriend and was on his way home. And he went to his father for comfort. I've got some bad news. What? That I am the ill intent who set upon the traveler on a road that he should not have been on. <laughs>